Welcome, 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 welcome to Political Talk, the podcast that makes you feel at home. Welcome to my house, my living room. How are you guys doing today? I trust everyone is doing good. I trust everyone's had a good week so far. I trust everyone's looking forward to the weekend. It is so great to be back here with you today. Politics is the art of doing something good. Political talk is why we are here. We want to do something good. We live, we breathe, we dream politics. I love it. I I live for it. Ladies and gentlemen, we just had an election. Election night to me is like the Super Bowl. It's eye-opening. I love sitting at home. I love seeing the returns come in. I love the back and forth from the analysts. And I just love how they spin it. Here at Political Talk, we talk about politics, but we talk about what we're thinking, but the media is not saying. You look at the election, and the first thing the media wants to say, if you have been paying attention, they're not talking about New Jersey. It's all set on Virginia. It's been 42 years since a Democrat has won re-election in New Jersey. But they did it. He did it at the skin of his teeth, but he did it. Don't get me wrong. There are signs that show trouble for the Democratic Party. They are. But the off-year election is an election for people who, who, whose guy lost to get some revenge. And the, the people, the Democrats, aren't energized. And you might say, well, Mark, why, what has Joe Biden done? He passed one major bill. He passed one major bill since he's been in office. The Democrats right now look like they can't govern. It's clear to everybody. Now, I will say it looks like they can't govern, but they're bickering. This is the one thing about the Democrats that drive me crazy. The Republicans would have passed their spending, the Build Back Better bill by now. They would have passed the infrastructure bill by now. But Democrats are so dead set on eating their own. And people are sitting back and watching. And that's why Terry McCullough lost. He also lost because he made a misstep. Now, don't get me wrong. Glenn Youngkin ran a very effective campaign. But some people say he ran a campaign where he was blowing a dog whistle. Critical race theory, if you do not know, it's racist. You know, I didn't know what critical race theory was until this year. And I'm going to tell you one secret. Listen, listen, here's one secret. The Republicans did have had nothing to run on. And all of a sudden, they start talking about critical race theory. What the fuck is critical race theory? Critical race theory is history. It's history that they don't like. But they don't like that history because it makes them look bad. It makes them feel bad. I'm sorry. History 
is what we learn so we don't repeat. And I'm sorry if your ancestors did things that make you feel uneasy. But guess what? It's history. We learn from it. It makes us better. So they brought up critical race theory, and Glenn Youngkin used it. Terry McCullough said, teachers, parents should not have a right to tell teachers what to teach. I'm sorry, <clears throat> what to teach. That was a misstep. Of course they should. This is what I would have said. The question is, should teachers, should parents have a right what their kids are learning in school? Yes. But parents should not dictate to the teachers what the teacher's curriculum should be. Teaching, sh teaching between teachers and parents should always be a partnership. And if it's not, that's where we fail. We fail the students and we fail the community. How hard is that? But you have a Democrat who, 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 you have a Democrat who thinks bigger than what the question is. It's simple as that. Terry McCullough, had he not made that misstep, probably would have won the election. He probably would have won the election. I think Glenn Youngkin was on the ropes, and Terry McCullough gave him just a little bit. He gave him a little bit of a gap, and Glenn Youngkin's people used it to their advantage. No, don't get me wrong. He ran an effective, an effective campaign. And you will have many Republicans looking at his campaign to see if they can emulate it. You know, he he kept Trump at a distance, but he got his Trump supporters to come in and push him over the edge. Now, you might say to me, well, Mark, what do you mean? I knew Glenn Youngkin was going to win Friday. You might say, how did you know that? The undecideds broke Friday for Glenn Youngkin. You had all you had to do was look at the polling. The undecideds were un they, they just didn't know who they wanted. But by Friday, they went Glenn Youngkin's way. They weren't red. The one misconception about Virginia, Virginia is not a blue state. Now don't get me wrong. Has it been blue for 12 years? Yes. But Virginia is not a blue state. By no means. Virginia is a purple state. If it was a blue state, you wouldn't have that switch back and forth. Terry McCullough got lucky last time he won the governorship in 2013. But I think when people overall looked at it, they wanted something new. And Glenn Youngkin was new. He, he was new in how he wanted to run the state. Republicans took back the House. And for the first time, elected a black lieutenant governor. The one thing I will say, and I hope they do not do, I can see the Republicans in the state of Virginia going too far. Now, if Glenn Youngkin wants to be, can see, be seen as somebody on the world stage for Republicans to follow, here's what I would do. I would govern down the middle. I would govern down the middle. I would 
push back on my legislature when they wanted to pass bills that were too far right. Now, don't know, Glenn Young is an attractive guy. He could be an ideal candidate for 2024, but he has to play it smart. He has to play it smart, and he can't play it the way his party is going to want him to play it. His party is going to first want to come about, they're going to want to pass all these conservative bills that are too far to the right. I think he needs to stay in the center. I think he stays in the center. He, he'll end up being a very successful governor. I think the one wake-up call for Democrats has to be, if you look in the numbers, you know, black voters, you know, he made inroads with them. He made inroads in a lot of uh, Democratic uh, communities that I feel like Democrats have taken for granted. And it it showed. It showed. I think, you know, and I heard someone say, I think Terry ran a lackluster campaign. He almost like he took this for granted. He said, I was a very popular governor and I have nothing else to worry about. I'm just going to waltz right in to the governorship. And you cannot do that. I think when you run for office, you need to run, like they say, like you're 10, 20 points behind the candidate. You need to run like your life depended on it. And I think Terry took it for granted. He did not have the hunger. I think, and someone mentioned this, and, I, and, I, and you could see it, I think he wanted to be president. His focus was on 2024. It wasn't on that race. He was already looking at his next race. And that's where he messed up. I think Terry doesn't make that misstep. I think he wins the governorship again. I think Republicans got lucky. I think they should not read too much in this. I think if you look at Pat Murphy, 42 years, a Democrat hasn't been reelected. I think many people aren't talking about New Jersey because of that. There are some signs in New Jersey to give Democrats pause and give something for Republicans to cheer about. You know, but you have a split ticket. So if I'm a Republican, I'm saying, you know, we had a somewhat good night, but it wasn't good all the way. You saw the progressive agenda get pushed back. I think people don't want to go as far left as some people might want them to go. I think if you look at Minnesota, you know, no police force, defund the police force. It's scary. Defunding the police is not a good, it's not a good tagline to run on. I think you need to re-educate the police. I think to be a police, and I've said this before, I think you need to have a license uh, insurance. I think uh, having police have immunity for everything is wrong. I think just because you have a badge should not make you feel like you can get away with, with anything. And I think when we give police immunity, if they think that I think let's let's okay let's go back let's go back let's go back. I think if you're going to give a policeman immunity. I think you need to give them with strings. And when I mean strings, you need to hold them accountable for when they fuck up. 
because I feel like when police have this thing, I can go into a scene and play a cowboy and I know I'm untouchable and that's wrong. And so, you know, I think you have to challenge it on there. You had a write-in candidate win in Buffalo. He beat the progressive candidate who beat him in the primary. I think had I think this goes back to Washington. Joe Biden hasn't really done anything. He passed one major bill. And Democrats, as bad as it is, in what you're saying, you know, they're they're infighting. Now don't get me wrong, if I'm a progressive, of course I'm not I would have been with the progressive and said the same thing. I would have held it up. Because I think the moment you pass the 1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, you you're gonna have uh, moderates say, well, maybe we don't need to pass the other bill, and that's when you know you're gonna get shafted, and that's slowly gonna start to continue to erode the trust. I think what they did was effective, but I think it also hurt them, and as you can see in the numbers, it's hurt Joe Biden. Democrats, every time they get in power, they show America they don't know how to lead. They don't know how to govern. They, they, they're constantly fighting. They don't have a centralized message. They don't have a centralized messenger. It's almost like if you, now that I'm thinking about it, the moment you a party gets in power, they should have one person that speaks for a unified voice and speaks for them. But you have so many fractions, and everybody wants their time. I will say this. You'll have, I will say this, and no one else is going to say it. For all the moderate Democrats who are probably, who probably shit their pants Tuesday night, guess what? You were going to be in a tough fight no matter what. You weren't going to waltz into a re-election. And more likely, you might, have, you might end up just losing your seats. Everybody knows that. So if I'm a moderate and I'm in a very swing district and I and my president is highly unpopular, can I win my can I win my reelection? Possibly, but I'm going to have to fight for it. But I also know there's a chance I'm going to lose. So in my mind, I'm going to expect the worst but hope for the best. And I and I would tell all my moderate friends that I would be in a community, I'd say, guys. We're in a tough fight. You know and I know the, the party out of power picks up seats in the midterms. So for my moderates and some of my progressives to think we have a shot at keeping the House, it's very slim. More likely, if I had to say it, we're probably going to lose the House. This is our time to get this bill done. People spoke Tuesday with a unified voice, and they said, this Congress, this president is not living up to what we voted for. And that's where it showed. The enthusiasm was gone. Repub Democrats sat at home. They looked at Youngkin. They said, he is who I want. 
Democrats do this every single time. They're so divided and they have a centralized message that people love. Popular programs that help the American people. So it boggles my mind when they, it took them how long to pass a bill and they still haven't passed it? It shows we have a president who was weak. I'll be the first to say this. I don't think Joe Biden runs in 2024. I think he he decides, he, he does a Johnson. He decides, I don't want to do it. I think anybody who wants the job of president right now, look at Obama, look at Bush, look at Trump, look at Biden. Look what you have to face from your own party and then the opposite party. Is it worth it? I used to always say, I came to the conclusion, I said, it's easy to run for president, but it's hard to be president. I, I, I think you, you get to a point when you're sitting in the Oval Office and the chairs and the crowds have all died down and the door closes and you're sitting there and they're showing you what this country is facing. And they say, Mr. President, no longer Mr. President-elect. They say, Mr. President. And that's when it hits you. The buck stops with you. It's no longer the other guy's problem. It's yours. And I think people start to realize, do I really want this job? Joe Biden is 78 years old and he's hanging on. Do I think he's senile? No. But I think he's up there in age and it's showing. I think a younger Joe Biden could have got the deal done by now. But I think an old Joe Biden, he's missing some steps and it's showing. Be honest. Where's the leadership? There is none. Where's the drive? There is none. If it was me, if this was a President Mark, by God, we would have had a bill in August. I would have pushed my party. I would have been like, here is what I want. Get it done. I would have looked at Joe Manchin and I'd say, are you on board or not? Are you with me or not? Give me an answer. Because if you want to go to the Republican side, go. If you want to be an independent, go. Will it hurt me? Yes. But guess what? It'll hurt you worse. I will tell people in your state, you're a typical politician who left the Democratic Party because you only want it for your self-interest. And Joe, you know that. I think you have to play hardball, and Joe Biden's not doing that. He's let the progressives walk over him. He's let Bernie Sanders pull him to his side. And this isn't the guy that was elected by 81 million votes. People sat at home Tuesday in Virginia. Or they looked at Yunkin and they said he's the better choice. New Jersey, they came out by the skin of their teeth to push Phil Murphy over the edge. I think as close as it was, because you looked at the polling, 
New Jersey wasn't that close. People thought the moment the polls closed, Phil Murphy would have been, it would have been announced. But it had to go to the wire. And if you're a Democratic strategist in New Jersey, you had to be shitting bullets. It showed us that polling can still be wrong. It showed us that if we take a race for granted, we might be shocked. The one thing <laughs> the one thing Youngkin did that I think Republicans are going to try to do, but they won't be able to. He ran an effective campaign, and he kept Trump at arm's length. Now, the one thing I found out through my reading and from what I, I heard, he was self-funded. And I think by being self-funded, he didn't need Trump that much. He could keep Trump at arm's length because he didn't need his help. He didn't need his, his, uh, his money people. He didn't need money from the super PAC. And I think Trump understood that. And in a sense, you could say Trump, maybe he respected that. And so Trump took a step back. So I will say this for any Republican who thinks I can run a Yunkin campaign with, with taking Trump's voters and keeping Trump at bay will be truly upset because they won't have... <laughs> they'll be truly upset because they will be truly upset because they will need the money. Tuesday should be eye-opening for every Democrat. But for people who follow politics, it isn't. I suspected everyone thought that Virginia was truly blue and that Terry was going to win. I looked at it and have always felt that Virginia is a purple state and that Terry was going to be close. I think for anybody 12 years in power, I think Terry just got lucky in 2013. He got lucky. And him getting lucky allowed people to have this misconception that mm, it's blue. Think about it. You have Terry who bucks the trend in 2013. You have Trump come in, and the rage of Trump leads to Northam. And Northam leads back to Youngkin. So, like I said, I hope that Youngkin has a very effective uh, uh, time in office. I hope he doesn't go too far right. I think he can be a very effective candidate. I mean, effective candidate going forward. I think if he wants to be someone who's on the national stage, I think he needs to be careful how he runs, as he what he does. I think he needs to be a he needs to be careful what he does in the state as governor, because if he goes too far right, it could bite him. If he goes too, he he just has to stay in the middle. I'll say that he has to stay in the middle. So what did you think of election night? Were you surprised? Were you eye-opened? Did you feel like, are you buying the narrative that the Republicans, you know, are just, oh my, well, the Democrats are in trouble, the Democrats are in trouble. Are you looking at it from a lens of, hmm, are they really? Democrats kept New Jersey.
Did they keep it close? Yes, but they still kept it. Hmm. Virginia went back red, but it always goes to the party out of power. I will say that if I'm a Republican strategist, I want to look at maybe why did some, you know, African-American people vote for Yunkin? You know, why did he pick up some inroads in very effective uh, Democrat voting blocks? I will say it should be a sign that maybe the Democrats have taken the black vote for granted for too long. And maybe some black people are starting to get tired of, you know, the mess. You know, one thing I can say is, you know, people waited in line and they bought what the Democrats were selling. I will say this. I think if you look at everything, I think the Democrats oversold. And I think by Joe Biden not being able to pass anything, it's it's hurting him and it's hurting his candidates. I think if, like I said, I think had they passed the Build Back Better plan this summer, I think you would have a very... I think Terry may there might have been a chance Terry could have won had they passed the plan. I think, you know, people are looking at Joe Biden and say he's not effective. And it's showing. And that's sad. Joe Manchin, Joe Manchin, Joe Manchin, Joe Manchin, Joe Manchin. I think sometimes we get to a point in our life where we start thinking we're bigger than what we are. When Joe Biden got elected in a 50-50 Senate, Joe Manchin became the senator that was quick to say, we are not going to just push things through. We're going to sit back and we're truly going to try to get to work with the other side. He's a centrist Democrat from a very red state. I think when it comes to Joe Manchin, he has to realize that you have to play ball. I think that he is thinking, like I said, I think he's thinking he's bigger than what he is. Now, you will hear people say, well, he's doing Joe Biden a favor. I don't think he's doing Joe Biden a favor. I think he's hurting Joe Biden. I think in a favor, he was doing Joe Biden a favor in the beginning. By getting the $3.5 trillion bill knocked down to $1.7. But I think when he comes and he plays these games wishy-washy, I think he has people question, what are your motives? Who are you working for? You know, the Build Back Better plan, everybody knows, is going to help the people of your state. West Virginia is a very poor state, and the people could surely use the help, but <laughs> could use the help, but you're dancing around and you're throwing out figures and it's going to cost this much and we shouldn't do that. Yeah, we shouldn't. But we've been working on this for how long? And now you're having second thoughts? You know... If the Democrats fail to pass the Build Back Better plan, don't get me wrong, the infrastructure bill probably will get, the Democrats will probably pass that. But if they fail to pass the Build Back Better agenda, I will say this Democrats will have a hard time going out and campaigning and saying, 
we passed an infrastructure bill, so you should put keep us in power. I think Democrats come out and support Democratic candidates because Democratic candidates say, I will pass an agenda that will help you. Now, don't get me wrong, roads, bridges, you know, broadband, that all helps us. But what about family paid leave and all the other good stuff in the bill? You know, so you will have Democrats who will sit at home because they'll say, why? Why come out and support a party that overpromised and didn't deliver? An infrastructure bill, Joe? That's what you got me? Joe Manchin has to play ball. And in the beginning, he was helping. But now I think he's hurting. And I think he's people are looking at Joe Manchin and saying, who are you? Are you with us? Or are you against us? This is our chance to do something so big, so revolutionary that it we're remembered for it. And for people to say, well, Joe Biden was not elected. He does not have the majority to pass this kind of bill. I look at them and I laugh because if Republicans were in this place, they would do exactly what the Democrats are trying to do. They would pass a far-sweeping agenda that benefits the Republican Party and the Republican cause. So the message that Joe Biden was just supposed to steady the ship. No, 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 no. That was not supposed to happen. I think any person that wants to be remembered as president wants to pass an agenda that they're remembered for. So Joe Manchin, I would say, should get on board. I think in the beginning he was helping, but now I think he's hurting. Because I think if you, the closer you get to January, the less likely we are going to pass a Build Back Better agenda. And we're going to get close to an election where 50, 60, people say 70 seats that Democrats could lose next next year. They could lose those seats. And they could lose them to the simple fact that they haven't produced that they haven't done what needs to be done. The question I would ask them is, why would I send you back to Washington if you haven't delivered? What have you been doing all this time? We gave you the majority. You have the House. You have the Senate. And all you have to show for it is a COVID relief bill. You can't tell me that is good. You should have had this bill done by June, by July. But the thing about Democrats, they cannot get on one page. They cannot get on one accord. This would be like our boss coming to us and saying, I want a report on my desk by the end of the month. If the end of the month comes, our boss says, where is that report? And we say we have not delivered it because we have not done it. He would say, what have you been doing for a whole entire month? I pay you a good wage. I give you good benefits. What 
have you been doing for a whole entire month? Ladies and gentlemen, it's not that hard. Me and you could haggle and have this bill done over a beer and a thing of pretzels. But it's almost like they don't know what to do. You give the Democrats the leadership. You give them the majority, and they get lost. They don't know what to do. And it's showing. And people are saying, do you even know how to govern? Because right now, I'm not seeing progress. Build back better. Where is it? It seems like you're not building back anywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, they have to do better. They need to do better. Because if they don't do better, they will quickly find themselves on the outside looking in with a small minority and having to figure out a way to get back to the majority. That's simple. That's simple. So, ladies and gentlemen, today the Biden administration finally came out with their OSHA rules on COVID-19 mandates. Um, like I've been saying, and I will continue to say, I do not think mandates work. I think mandates, I think mandates force people to do things they weren't really planning to do. The fine for people who decide not to follow the rules OSHA's levying a fine of 13000 to $136,000. By December 5th, if you're not vaccinated, you will be required to wear a mask. January 4th is the deadline. You're seeing a lot of businesses getting pushing back because by January 4th, if someone's not vaccinated, and you have over 100 employees, you're going to start putting a tax on these businesses. Think about that. Let's, let's think about it. You're going to start putting a tax on these people to test their employees weekly. And that's going to start to cost people their jobs. And we're already in a tight labor market. So you're going to see businesses struggle because you you're going to let me go you're going to let me go really you're already struggling and you're already short staffed but you're going to fire me because i refuse to get a vaccine and so you're going to see a lot of businesses push back on that you could almost say that the covid um this mandate is almost anti-business now don't get me wrong I can see why the Biden administration wanted to do a mandate. You know, when you look at the numbers of COVID, he had to do something. But I think by doing the mandate, you went too far. And, you know, you see in L.A. where to just do anything, you have to be vaccinated. You know, I will say this. If you are not vaccinated, stand up boycott. They need us more than we need them. Order your order your uh, groceries at home. You know, you everything you can do online. So what? You don't go to a restaurant? Get it to go. 
tell them, tell them, say, hey, I'm not vaccinated, but hey, I'm going to get it to go. And if they say no, we'll say, well, God, you know, maybe I'll give you a bad review. If there's a will, there's a way. But like I said, I think this mandate is a tax on small and medium-sized businesses. Like Walmart, Target, big business, they can handle this. And by some chance, maybe they will force their people to get vaccinated, or they will highly incentivize it to incentivize people to get vaccinated. But the people that do not, the question is, are they going to get backlash because they aren't vaccinated? Are the jobs going to push them out? And the thing about OSHA, they're so understaffed. So the question is, how are they going to monitor this? I, I, I almost think that when the president came up with this policy, this policy, he really did not think it through all the way. You know, the one thing I'm getting about Biden is it's almost like at this age, he he gets so dug in and it's like, no, I feel like no one can really talk to him because he's not listening. It's so he has this one track mind. And I feel that can, is going to be the detriment, detribute to him. Not am wrong. If you want to get vaccinated, get vaccinated. But I'm a strong believer that you should not be forced to do or get something you do not want to do or get. What, society, what, what kind of society are we living in when the federal government can start mandating your health and telling, what you, telling you what you can put in your body? And now that we have the vaccine for children, when are they, it's only a matter of time before that mandate comes. So now you're going to force me to tell me how to raise my child. It shouldn't be that way. It's government overreach. And I think this is one aspect that if you're a Democrat, going in to next year, you need to look at. You know, do we want to con uh, conquer COVID-19? Yes, but we need to do it smartly. Repeal the mandate. Say, here's the vaccine. And then just say, you should get it. Sell the American people on why they should get the vaccine. It should be that simple. But it's a hard sell because when I see people who are vaccinated still getting COVID, I ask myself, why do I want to get something and I can still get the virus? And then you'll hear people say, well, it was never sold as this uh, ultimately, ultimate uh, shot where you wouldn't get sick. Yes, it wasn't. But Donald Trump sold us that. They politicized this virus. And that's the fucked up part. But mandating people to get something is just wrong. And I think somewhere in the numbers on Tuesday, that's what you'll see. The funny part about the mandate that I read is the White House hasn't produced numbers about how many people on their staff are vaccinated. So the question I would ask is, are you going to fire them? Are you going to hold them to the same standards that you want business to hold to us? It's only right. It's only fair. A vaccine that is so new. 
and and damn the science damn the well you know if you look at this is the biggest trial and fuck that i'm not going to go along to get along because you want to feel better about yourself no i am not i think if you want the vaccine get the vaccine if you want your kids vaccinated, get your kids vaccinated. I think it's the misconception that there's so many people on the elites that think you have to be vaccinated to go to school. There's so many people I know who do not have their kids vaccinated and their kids go to school. But there's that disconnect. There's that, you know, the people that live in the mansion versus the people like me and you who sit here on the ground, ground uh, floor. And that's what's wrong with America. There's such a disconnect. And somewhere along the line, we have to get back to see eye to eye. If Joe Biden was to come to me right now and he was to say, Mark, why aren't you vaccinated? Why don't you intend to get your kids vaccinated? Don't you know the vaccine is safe? I would say, Mr. President, with all due respect, the vaccine is too new. Your press secretary double vaccinated gets COVID. Oscar De La Hoya, right before a major comeback fight, has an outbreak infection. Here's a guy that's vaccinated, laid up in the hospital, on the hospital bed, with the vaccine. But you want me to get a shot when I see all that going on. Well, he might say, well, well Mark, those are rare cases and they don't happen all the time. And I would say, you are right, Mr. President. They are rare cases. I do agree. But when's the last time you knew somebody who had polio? Think about it. When was the last time you met somebody with the measles, Mr. Mr. President? Those vaccines that we, we had to get when we were little, it took years to make them. It took years to perfect them. So when they finally put it in people's arms, people could trust it. Think about it, nine months for a polio vaccine, would you trust it, nine months? And then you see people still getting outbreak polio infections? Would you put that in your arm? Not saying polio is worse than uh, COVID, but I think we need to just trust our gut. I would look at, I would say, Mr. President, what's the big deal if I choose not to get the vaccine? You tell me I should care for my fellow man, but when is my fellow man cared for me? When does he give a damn about me and my needs? When has the federal government cared about me and my needs? I can't afford health care. You said it's affordable. I can't afford it. I live check to check. I scrimp and save every single month, Mr. President. But yes, get a vaccine is your priority. No, Mr. President, no, Mr. President, it needs about, your, your priority needs to be about taking care of the American people. It needs to be about fixing the supply shortage. The worst thing in the world is going to Walmart, going grocery shopping, Mr. President, and not finding the box of cookies, the, the, the loaf of bread. We've got empty shelves, Mr. President. Gas is high, Mr. President. But you worry about COVID, Mr. President. You've got the vaccine. 
Just put it out there and let people decide if they want it or not. And then you focus on the other issues. Tackle inflation. Tackle income inequality. Let's work on the things that we can do now. You have it, Mr. President. Offer it, Mr. President. And let people decide the way they want to go. But forcing people to do or get something because it makes you feel good about yourself, Mr. President, is just wrong. We live in a society where we're independent, Mr. President. And the moment we're willing to sacrifice that, give up our independence, Mr. President, what kind of country will we have left? So, Mr. President, I stand with me. Respect my rights as American, as an American citizen, to say no to the vaccine. To say no. Mr. President, I need you to respect that. <laughs> you know, like I said, I, I, I remember when, when COVID first happened with the vaccine, I read an article that said if, if, if everybody was given $1,400, would they get it? And I think the question would be, you know, if you if you looked at it and you walked to people and said, you know what, I'm going to give you $1,400 to get the vaccine, would you get it? I'd, I'd think about it. I'd be inclined to get it. We could all use the extra money. It, it would pay some bills. It would help out. You know, the, I read that in New York that they're, they're um, paying kids uh, 11 to 5. A uh, hundred bucks to get the vaccine, but the question is, is misguided because if parents aren't vaccinated and they don't trust the vaccine, who are you really giving the money to? Because you're just going to have doses sitting there. Now, don't get me wrong; the people who want to get their kids vaccinated will get their kids vaccinated, and you should, by all means, give those kids a hundred dollars. But you need to focus on the kids that parents aren't vaccinated and don't intend to get vaccinated. I think when you do that, you'll be better off. And like I said, it's just, it's too new. And I'm going to say this. I think when it comes to the mandate and where they basically tout, tout the mandate, they're looking at the percentage of people who got the shot. But I want to look at the people who didn't get the shot and choose to be on um, who choose to sit out. I saw somewhere where 8,000 people, 8,000 people in the Air Force aren't vaccinated and don't intend to. And so then the question I had that came to my mind is, how is this going to affect, affect the troops? How is this going to affect readiness if you have, you know, 8,000, you know, Air Force people, airmen, not vaccinated. Then you have to start looking at the other branches. And then you're to say, okay, 8,000, how much does that play a role in an effective Air Force? You know, as a guy who was in the Navy for seven years, I have to ask myself, 7,000, you know, sailors, 
you know, how effect, how much would that affect, uh, you know, readiness for the, the Navy? But then you always go over your head, okay, how many people for 8,000, you know, how many ships there are, how many shore duty billets there are. You, you, know, you start playing, you start throwing numbers in your head to say, you know, will it even out? Or will it just be a big cluster and make things worse? I mean, 7,000 people out of one command, that would, could cripple a command because then that would, could cripple readiness. But if it's 7,000 people spread out, then you're talking about a manageable number. You know, I just think that it's going to continue. The COVID thing is going to continue, but like it's going to continue to it goes away. I think one day we're going to wake up and it's just going to vanish. And I think scientists are going to play it off and give us some BS excuse where we're going to see through it because they're not going to know how to explain why COVID just vanished into thin air. And they don't want to come off where people start saying, why did I get the vaccine if COVID was just going to go away after two years? It's a real possibility, and that's something we need to look at, something we we drastically need to look at. Um, shipping. I know I touched, I touched on this. I did a horrible job. You know, you have over 100 shipping container ships sitting off the coast. You know, I read an article the other day where... You know, there's theft now because the containers have just been sitting there waiting to get offloaded. And it's sad, you know, it goes into when I go to Walmart and I look on the shelf and there's nothing on there. Like I said, I, I think I think our government failed us on many aspects with COVID. I think once they realized and everybody was shut down and they were getting ready to shut the uh, the country back on. You know, somebody should address, should have seen this coming with, uh, with shipping. It's almost like instead of being proactive, we're too reactive, and that's an issue. And I feel like whoever steps up to run for anything in the future, or you promote, you you basically put anybody in a slot. They need to look at that. Don't get me wrong, I. I Pete Budu Judge, as much as I like the guy, I, I think he should have caught that. I think even you know the Trump White House should have caught that, but they didn't. And you know, I would say no matter who was president, you were going to have you know shipping issues that were going to also were going to be bled in from labor issues. So, you know, hopefully that gets fixed, and hopefully it gets better. Well, that's <laughs> so the biggest thing going on right now, I will, I will try to get, this is going to be it. I'm sorry, it's getting late and I'm drowning on. So hopefully I'm not about to pass out. Um, let's go, Brandon. It is a phrase that has become very popular on the right. And it's catchy. There's nothing wrong with it. My take on Let's Go Brandon, do I find it disrespectful? To a point. I, I would say this, and I've been thinking, and I'm probably not going to, I've been thinking. If you, were, if you were upset or you thought it was wrong how the Democrats treated, you know, Donald Trump, but you're okay with a phrase that says, Let's Go Brandon, it makes me wonder if you were 
mad about people making fun of Trump, but you're okay with people making fun of Biden, can you really have it both ways? You know, I bring this up because there's a pilot and they're taking off and the pilot says, let's go, Brandon. And he did get some backlash and, and rightfully so because when I'm on a plane or I walk in a store, I don't want to know your political affiliation. Just do your job. And for the pilot to say that, you know, I think he should lose his job because in a sense it's out of line. Leave your political affiliations at the door. People don't care. You know, if you're a doctor and you're saying I'm a Republican, what if I'm a Democrat? What? How are you going to treat me? Because you might say, you know, you support defund the police. You know, you might think I'm one of those Democrats who who enjoys all those radical policies that the left is pushing, and you might take it out on me. If you thought what they did to Donald Trump was wrong, you can't be okay with what they're doing to Joe Biden. And vice versa. If you were a liberal and you thought what they did to Joe Biden, I mean, to Donald Trump was top of the line and it was funny, you got to be okay with Let's Go Brandon. I would say the funny thing is I have, you know, you don't read too much about Joe Biden getting butthurt about it. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is I could only imagine Trump just being enraged with a song that said, let's go Trump or something like that. So. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, first of all, I want to say this. If you enjoyed the podcast and you enjoy what I'm, I'm saying, please subscribe, please, please, please subscribe. But also, most of all, share it. Tell your friends, tell them about this podcast. Like I said, I want to make this podcast where we talk about things that people are thinking. Labor issues, the mandate, you know, the Build Back Better agenda, the election. Let's let's tackle those issues. So long we want to sit on the side because it, we're scared. You know, it's fun now because everyone's into politics. Everyone breathes it and feels it. But at the end of the day, we need to have it where we can have a civil conversation without anyone getting butthurt. And I think when it comes to politics, we're so quick to people getting their feelings hurt. And that's wrong. So we need to stand together. We need to talk to each other. Ladies and gentlemen, meet me in the middle. I always say, what's the one thing people want? They want a good job. They want a good place to raise their kids. Simple. They want good health benefits. And they want to live a long time. But somewhere along the line, we stopped looking at each other and we started looking past each other. Maybe stop. Look at your friend. If he's a Republican, talk to him. Ask, ask him why he thinks the way he thinks. Have a friendly back and forth. Is that bad? Have some friendly banter. Is it bad? No, it's not bad. It can be done. 
but it just takes people meeting in the middle, having the soulless in the middle. I think the biggest thing that's going to come out of this administration is labor issues. And it seems like they have an ineptness to, to handle it. You know, pay them more money. I think there should be, you know, a hearing. There should be something where the president sits down and he talks to people. Why do we have all these for hiring signs? What are we doing wrong? I think for so long we, we took labor for granted. We put more emphasis we put more emphasis on the business and we didn't want to take care of the worker. And it's showing. And it's showing because the worker is letting it show because the worker is telling us he has all the power. There's so many open jobs right now. But this government has failed the businessman, the, the labor people. I think we need to look at the supply issue. How do we, just saying leave everything open 24 hours is not solving the problem. It might be solving the problem in one way. But if you don't have people to load the trucks and people to drive the trucks, what have you really done? Mandating people to get a virus. A vac I mean, get, mandating people to get a vaccine that they, they don't feel comfortable is, what are you trying to tell them? That America is all-knowing and powerful, and we should just trust you? At the end of the day, I don't want to know your political affiliations. I just want you to do your job. Tuesday's election was an election not for a Republican blowout, but it was, a it was an election for Republican signs that if Democrats don't get their acts together, it could be a Republican bloodbath. Democrats have to come together and pass something. It's been almost a year and all we've, you've done or got to show for me is a COVID relief, a COVID relief bill. If I've given you the majority, if, if, I've, if I've given you the House, if I've given you the Senate, in the White House, the least you could do is pass the Build Back Better agenda. These are things that people are thinking right now. But the media focuses less and less on them. Republicans are still trying to make Afghanistan a thing. Afghanistan is heartbreaking. By, all, by no means it is. But the question I would ask every one of you who thinks Afghanistan was heartbreaking. Were you really, were you willing to put more boots on the ground to fight a war that, as you could see, was never winnable? Well, it was winnable. But did you have the political courage? Did you have the political will to make it winnable? I think for 20 years, I think in the beginning we did. And somewhere along the line, we took our eyes off the ball, the ball and it showed. Like I said, welcome to Political Talk, a podcast where we focus on what you're focusing on, but the media is not saying. Thank you for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, please, 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 if you like what I'm saying, you like this content, please subscribe. 
And also, please follow, or subscribe, follow. But, you know, share. Share with people. Let's build a nation of people that truly want to make this nation great again. Truly great again. Great again for everybody. Because for so long it hasn't been. But we can do it again. It's not a Trump face. It's not a Trump wannabe. Ladies and gentlemen, it has been a pleasure. I hope you all have a good night. I know I am. Congratulations, Glenn Youngkin. Uh, Murphy of New Jersey. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Have a good night.